Well, good morning. So they say that back to me. Good morning. Now, you've got to know that uh, when I, I get to uh, preach at Harvest on a weekly basis, uh, our building has no sunlight what to speak of. So this is unusual for me to say, wow, I can see all of you so good and so clearly. So this is refreshing. Whether this goes well in the next few moments or not for you, I'm going to enjoy the sunlight. Okay, uh, it's so good to be with you. Uh, if I haven't met you again, my name is Jason and, uh, you know, just the Lord has been so good uh, to be able to follow him and celebrate him. Uh, as Dana was sharing, I, I was on staff at your sending church West side for a number of years, and that was good. And then the Lord saw fit in the right time to send us out to plant, to start another church like restoration. Uh, we were started intentionally so that the gospel, the good news about Jesus could spread so that people could hear about Christ and be changed by him, not for a little while, but for eternity, changed by him for this life and for eternity. That's why we have said, let's start more churches. Let's see that happen. Let's go for that. And so we share uh, a few things together. One, we share uh, ascending church, and that, that's a wonderful thing, that they have been so gracious and so generous. Uh, if you've never been to Westside, that's okay. Uh, that You just know that there are churches willing to give uh, to be able to start other churches so that the good news could go forward. Here's something else that we share. Uh, we share a love for Pastor Kevin and Samantha and their family. Uh, I've known Kevin for a number of years and just really call him uh, again, just as Dana said, call him friend uh, and be able to uh, enjoy when he said, hey, would you speak for me uh, this Sunday? I said, hey, I want to do that. I want to make sure that happens uh, so that you can receive some refreshments. And it's been uh, great. I know that God's word is being handled well uh, at my own church. And so we're going to look uh, to see that it's handled well this morning. Now, here's something else that we share in common. And this may be the most important thing that we share together. And that we share a love for Jesus Christ. That he is the Savior and he is bringing people to himself. Even today around the world, he is drawing people to himself. That's good news. Amen. Okay, that was your cue to say amen. That means I agree with that. That's good news. Amen. Okay, now you're with me. And so we are getting ready to be in God's word together. And I want you to know as we get into God's word today that we can approach it with a confidence. He has already prepared this for us. What he has, has in store for us today, it's already prepared. God has something to speak to each of our lives. And so this morning you can come and say, all right, Lord, I know you prepared this. Now I invite you to come and speak to me. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and lead me into all truth. Challenge me, change me, convict me. Help me to follow you. Help me to respond to what you have. And so let's do that together right now. Uh, I want you to pray with me. Would you pray with me? Don't just listen to me. Pray. And we will uh, get ready to invite uh, the Lord to speak to us from his living word. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus. It is only because of you that we've gathered here in this place. We know that whatever has happened here this past week, this morning... This morning, this is a place of worship, a place to worship you, the living God, the God who changes lives, who has changed so many lives in this room and intends to keep changing them this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and lead us into all truth. Help us to understand your word today. Help us to know what it means to our lives so that we might follow you more clearly and more boldly this week. And we thank you, Jesus, that you love us. It is in your strong name we pray. Amen? Amen. Well, let me begin this morning by acknowledging a fact. And it is a fact that we live in an unstable time. Would you agree with that? That we live in an unstable time. And you say, well, I think we've always lived in an unstable time. I think that may be true as well. But let me just recount for you a few things that have happened in just the last few months that remind us that this world is not all there is and that this world is unstable in many ways. Let me begin from the world of finance. Many of you are saying, hey, uh, man, I'm, I'm just trying to make uh, ends meet. I'm trying to make my budget every month. I'm trying to make sure the bills are paid. I'm trying to make sure that happens. And then in August this year, we saw, we witnessed the stock market plunge a thousand points. 
We saw a few days later the Dow Industrial plunged 588 points. Do you realize that people lost fortunes in just a matter of minutes, in just a matter of hours? People's savings and their investments, some of them were just wiped out. They were gone. That's unstable in the world of finance. Let's move to the world of foreign policy. Things that we hear about, we see on the news, we read about them. We know this, that the United States, that we have entered into a new era right now, that we are now engaging in this new relationship with Iran. And you, you might say, I could never believe that that would be happening, that we would have this, this relationship with Iran in this way. Or how about a restored relationship with Cuba, nations that have pledged to hate us and kill us at different points in recent history. The United Nations in just the last few weeks has witnessed these amazing and impassioned speeches from different leaders of the world, leaders like Iran, leaders like Israel, who have said very boldly that they do not like, no, they hate one another, and that they are calling people to their side. We look around our world and we see that it is in very much an unstable condition. Look into one more geopolitical area. We see Russia. We see Russia who... uh, We don't know whether they can be trusted, but they have not been someone who's been trustworthy in the past. And in this past year, they invaded Crimea and now they have invaded and are working in Syria. And you look and say, what is going on? What's going to happen? Where is this all leading? What do we know? Now, let's turn our attention to the world of sports. Do you realize that the Cubs made it into the playoffs? That's an unstable world. We could always count on the Cubs to blow it, to lose. And then this, this occurred to me just this past week. I realized that the Cubs made it into the playoffs as the 1980s sci-fi film Back to the Future said they would. And I think, whoa, now I'm really thrown. I'm really thrown. The Cubs. And you say, I don't even know who the Cubs are. Go ahead and look that up right now and it'll, it'll rock your world as well. I'm going to tell you this world is an unstable place and it has been for a long time. But there is something about living in an unstable time that is positive. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see there's something positive that is generated by living in an unstable time. And it is the test of a person's character. It will reveal your character. When you live in an unstable time, when when it's shaking around you, you will see that what is on the inside will come out. Let me define for you character for a moment. If you're a note taker, I noticed this on uh, your worship folder. On the back, there's a place to take notes. You might want to write some of these things down uh, so that it doesn't pass from your memory when we leave here. Here's what the dictionary says about character. Character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. You say, wow, that really did not touch my heart. And that was very dictionary-like. Well, let me give it to you uh, another definition. This one is by the great pastor and evangelist from Chicago, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this, Character is who you are in the dark. Character is who you are in the dark. This simply means when all the distractions, all the facade is stripped away, who you really are will come out it will be revealed characters who you are in the dark when all the other things, all the things that keep us from seeing a person as they really are. In the dark, it's revealed characters who you are in the dark. It simply means this. As we get into this, as we look at the time in which we live, difficult times, difficult times in our economy, difficult times in our country, difficult times, maybe in some of the relationships in your life, difficult times in our churches. Difficult times do have a positive effect. Here's the positive effect. They will reveal your character. It is the test of character. Difficult times. Let me give you just an illustration so uh, that you're not uh, uh, saying, what does this really have to do with my life? What does it have to do with my life? Let me just uh, use this cup as an illustration. This is you and this is me. Okay, you say, where did you get that cup? There's a thousand of them out in the lobby. Okay, you can go ahead and get one of these cups and a name tag. This is you and this is me. Now, in difficult times, it's like 
you remove the lid to that cup. And you say, okay, what I don't want people to see is what I'm really like. I don't want them to see. But in difficult times, when turbulence comes into your life, when it begins, when this world begins to shake around us, you cannot help but it will begin to show what is in that cup. And I'm glad that there is some kind of carpeting here that will get rolled up and probably won't mold by next week, okay? Listen, in difficult times, your character, what is on the inside, will come out. You say, no, not me. Yes, you. Yes, you. And yes, me. Our character will be revealed. And it is revealed in the quickest manner when you go through difficulty. When you go through hard times, you will see that it is revealed very quickly. And it's not just revealed to you. It's revealed to all around you. And now I have water all over me. So we're just going to say, let's let's keep going for that. Now, listen, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that what is on the inside cannot be kept under wraps all the time. You say, I'm doing a good job. I don't want anybody to know really what's in my heart or what's in my mind. I'm going to try and keep the lid on that in my life. I'm going to do it. This is what Jesus said. Luke chapter six, verse 45 it says this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. When you go through difficulty, when you go through hard times, when we experience that together, when we experience that individually, it shakes loose what's on the inside and it will come out. It will come out in your words, Jesus says. It will come out in your actions. It will come out. And so today, we really want to look into the mirror of God's word and say, show me. Show me what I'm really like. Show me what's on the inside. Show me my true character. And then change that character to look more like you, Jesus. This fall, as we uh, look at this, uh, this time together, it should not be disjointed from what Pastor Kevin has been preaching on this fall. You've been going through a series uh, looking at the life of King David and he is the most amazing king in Israel's history. And I do mean that in its history. Not the most amazing king who will rule over Israel. But the most amazing king in Israel's history. The benefits of studying David's life are many. You say, why are we studying this man's life? Why, what does it have to do with my life? There's many benefits. One of the things we see when we look at David's life, King David from the Bible, is that he is so real. He is so gritty. He is so easily identifiable with what's going on in our life. He's not like, I, I, don't, know what's, I, don't, I don't know what that's like. I don't know uh, how to identify with that person. No, David is somebody we can all identify with because not only are his, his great achievements recorded, but his great mistakes are recorded for us as well. We get to see David's character again and again. And it wasn't built in such a, uh, a whitewashed way to say, look how amazing he is. You'll never be like him. The truth is, many times we are just like him. We are just like him in our character. But here's another benefit that you might not have realized. Why we look at David's life. Why we study his life. And why we say, Lord, help me to understand more about you from his life. David, many times, is pointing us to what the savior would be like many times he shows us what jesus himself would be like let me give you a good example a few of them just to talk about the character of david and how it reflects on what jesus would be like when david an unlikely hero stepped in to face the giant goliath one of those famous stories from the bible when he stepped in to face the giant Goliath, on behalf of his people, it showed us what Jesus would be like. When Jesus, an unlikely hero, someone we didn't see coming in this way, born in Bethlehem, born, placed in a manger, we wouldn't have seen him coming in this way, like David. And he would step in and he would face the giants of this life for us on behalf of his people, the people his creation, 
all of humanity. When he would step in and he would fight the giants of Satan and sin and death. Just like David, who would defeat through the power of the Lord Goliath. Jesus would step in and defeat the giants of Satan, sin and death for us. Here's another way we can see David revealing Jesus to us. In David, we see a shepherd who who truly cares for his sheep. In Jesus, we see a shepherd who truly cares for us, who cares for us with all of our failings. In David, we see a mighty king, a powerful king. In Jesus, we see the king of kings. We see in David an amazing reign and a great kingdom. In Jesus, we see the ultimate reign and the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And David, this is one of those opportunities where we really get to see where the scriptures show us something that we might not have seen immediately. David, when he became the anointed king, when Samuel the prophet, and this will play right into where we study the scriptures today, when Samuel came and anointed David, poured oil over his head, a great symbol of the Holy Spirit, poured oil over David's head and said, you'll be the next king. It was years until David had all of Israel under his reign. It was years that had to pass pass until he became king over all of Israel. Now, Jesus, the anointed king, you saw his anointing when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the spirit of God descended on him like a dove. That was the anointing of Jesus, the anointed king. And now, Jesus, we wait with him until all of this unstable world is brought underneath his feet, just like David, Jesus Waiting until everything is brought under his feet. So many pictures for us to look at. But we must refine our focus this morning and look at the picture that is coming from 1 Samuel 25. And so if you have a Bible this morning, would you take that out? It could be on your phone. It could be on your tablet. Uh, That's great. It could be uh, a Bible that you picked up in the lobby. And we're going to be in the front half of your Bible. 1 Samuel, hopefully you have uh, it marked uh, in your Bible so you can come back and back and back. As you join in and study this also during your life groups. First Samuel chapter 25 is where we will camp out this morning. And I want you to see, and not just me, the scriptures want you to see character. Character revealed in an unstable time. We will look at four pictures of character this morning. Uh, two of those pictures will be pictures that you say, you don't want to be known for this. You don't want this to be the character of your life. And there, there will be two pictures that you do want to be known for. And so the first picture is found in 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Would you look at that with me, please? 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Now Samuel, that is the prophet Samuel, died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. That's where we want to stop this morning. Just begin right there with a picture of character. Let me show you the first picture of character. And if you're a note taker, would you write this down? The first picture of character we want to learn from this morning is to be humble. It's to be humble. If we look at the life of Samuel, this is a man who exercised great humility. He was an amazing servant leader who loved God and loved the people of Israel. He truly did. He was not perfect, but he was a fantastic role model of what true servant leader character looks like. He was a humble man. In fact, you look at what happened when he died. Verse one, now Samuel died. And all of Israel assembled and mourned for him. Do you know that during Samuel's life, much of Israel did not want to hear what he had to say? Do you know that? Isn't that true for us today? That, hey, we're we're struggling with your leadership, but then when you're gone, man, all of a sudden now we remember all the good qualities and all these things. And people get together at a funeral and remember all the good things. And they share all of those things. Samuel has died. And one of the things you're seeing is that he, even in death, he is a humble man. He does not want some massive tomb, some massive display prepared for him. He said, just bury me at my house. Just bury me at my my residence. Bury me and keep following 
the Savior. Keep following the King of Kings. Do what God says. He is such a humble man. If you contrasted him with uh, another contemporary, uh, his name is King Saul. King Saul is the reigning king in Israel at this time. And this man loves to set up monuments to himself. He loves to have all the attention. He loves to have people praise him. In fact, he built a huge monument to himself in a place called Carmel. And so as he does this, it is such a contrast. Here's Saul over here, a man who is about himself. And then look at the character, the character, the humble character of Samuel. He is such a man of humility who served. Now, let's ask the question. Let's ask this question. Can you and can I, can we simply serve Jesus? Can we simply serve Jesus at work? Can we simply serve Jesus at our home? Can we simply serve Jesus here at Restoration Church? Can we simply serve Jesus right here in the Yakima Valley without accolades and attaboys? Or do we need recognition? Do we need to operate like King Saul and have somebody build us up and show us and tell us how great we are? Or can we come and say, God, this is what you asked me to do. I want to do it because I love you. And I only do that because you love me. I want to live a humble life, a life that honors you. I want to honor you in my home. I want to honor you in my work. I want to honor you with my finances. I want to honor you with my time. I want to honor you, Jesus. Help me to honor you. Do you need gold stars? Do you need pats on the back? Or it's not worth it for you? A great lesson in following Jesus in a humble way would be a, a great study of looking at the prophet Samuel and his life. We see something here in verse 1 that we might not uh, look at and we might just be quick to move on to the next verse and get there. But it says that all of Israel assembled and mourned for him. That doesn't mean every person assembled and, and mourned for him. That means at least all the leaders, the chief leaders, they gathered together. They, they remembered what Samuel did in the, in the name of God and for the love of the people of, of Israel. But there's somebody who's not here. There's somebody who's not at his funeral. There's somebody that didn't get to go to the burial. There's somebody that wasn't there. And his name is David. His name is David. Because David is on the run. David is out, out because Saul wants to kill him. Saul wants to kill him. And this shows us that this is really an unstable time. Uh, a time where we look and see that we can say, yeah, it was an unstable time in their history. Just like us. An unstable time for us. With the passing of Samuel, with Samuel's death, Samuel was a person who could stop King Saul in his tracks and say, that's enough. That's not what God wants for you, Saul. Stop what you're doing. Now Samuel's gone and Saul is on the loose and he's running free. And his main goal is to kill the anointed king, King David. He is after David. He wants him dead. It is an unstable time. In the government of Israel. Man, we can understand that. It is an unstable time in the government of the United States, in the government of our valley. As leadership changes in lots of ways, we have instability that occurs. Instability has a positive effect, it can reveal true character. The character of Samuel was this humility. Humility. They live in a turbulent time, we live in a turbulent time. Now, let's see this in context. Let's look at uh, a bigger chunk of scripture together and, and just follow along because this is written in story form. And so let's just enjoy it as we learn from God's word together. Let's begin at verse one again. Now, Samuel died and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Doesn't mean like in his bedroom or something like that at his residence. They buried him. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. See, he's not at the funeral. He's not allowed to be at the funeral. He would be hunted and killed if he came to the funeral. And there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. 
Verse 3, now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. And peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. That's an important point. And we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in in Carmel. That means David has been protecting all of the shepherds. All of this man's sheep and flock are protected. His herds, the goats, everything's been protected under David's watch. Verse 8, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. That's a very humble statement. And when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. Then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants. Who is David? Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to the men, every man, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Let's stop there. There's a lot happening here. And we want to unpack it in order to understand character. This is an unstable time. King Saul is the king of Israel. David is the king who is going to be king of Israel. Samuel has died. And now you have this family This man uh, brought to the forefront. His name is Nabal. Here's a few things to realize that's happening here. David is still on the run from Saul. Saul still wants to kill him. David is far less protected because of Samuel's death than just a few uh, months before. But now he has been working to care for those in his in his crew and his people. There are 400 men that are going to go with him, 200 that are back. It doesn't talk talk about all the wives and children. He has a great amount of people that he has to take care of. And so he has been working. And one of the people he worked for is this man named Nabal, who is a rich man, a man with a lot of wealth. And David has served as protection so that neither man nor animal would break in and steal or kill any of his belongings. And now David is saying, hey, it's shearing time. It's payday. It's payday. Go ahead and pay these young men what you owe me for protecting you all this time. I've been working for you. I've been serving you faithfully. And now it's time to pay. Please give to these men what is rightfully owed to us. Nabal then rises up. Nabal, and you might note this, Nabal, his name means fool. Literally, it means fool. So the next time somebody cuts you off this week while you're driving and you just yell out the window, Nabal! Nabal! Just right. You can take that. They're like, they won't even know what's going on, but you will enjoy it thoroughly. This is the perfect job for David. Do you notice this? David, who grew up as a shepherd, is has... Now become a man who is protecting other shepherds. Does does he not have the perfect position for him? He's leading all of these men. That's great training for him to become the king. That's wonderful. He's no longer just leading sheep. He's leading men. And he has been working at this job. And now it's payday. And so as we look at this, the story really becomes interesting when Nabal and his wife are introduced in the same verse. Would you look with me again? And you might want to highlight this or star this. What a great character study verse 3 is. Now the name of his wife, 
Uh, the name of the man was Nabal, fool. And the name of his wife was Abigail, the joy of the father, the father's joy. That's, that's what her name, uh, that is what we see happening here. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. And he was a Calebite. Let's understand a few things here about character. Abigail is discerning and beautiful. She is beautiful not only on the outside. She is beautiful where character counts on the inside. She is discerning. Do you notice? Did you notice that that was listed first? That she was discerning? Beauty, beauty changes over time. Beauty changes. But discernment grows. We might say this another way. Abigail is wise. She is a woman of wisdom. She is somebody who you would look up to, somebody that you would come to. Unfortunately, her husband does not share these traits. He is neither discerning nor beautiful. He is described in two other terms. He is harsh and badly behaved. Wow, you say, I know this guy. He's my neighbor. I know this guy. And, they, oh, he's a family member. I know this guy. I hope that we are not this guy. In those days, you say, how, how could this happen? How could this amazing, discerning, wise, beautiful woman be married to such a fool? Such a harsh and badly behaved man. One of the things we realize is that this is probably the product of what happened many times in those days, an arranged marriage. Where the parents would say, Abigail, you're marrying this man, Nabal, because he's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of us. And so it's already done. And so when she marries him, because the parents have arranged it. She has a couple of choices. She can become like her husband or she can become what God wants her to be. Someone with discernment, someone with beauty that doesn't fade over time. I love what's happening here. It doesn't take, by the way, do you realize this? It doesn't take an arranged marriage for that to happen today, does it? We see this happen many times, that somebody who is wise marries somebody who's a fool and hopes that they will change. I hope they change. I'm going to change them. Terrible strategy, but it happens all the time. Abigail's parents uh, arranged this, most likely that she, they arranged this for her. And her life with Nabal must have been difficult. Her life with Nabal must have been hard. Because if he's harsh and he is badly behaved to everyone else, you can believe that he's probably harsh and badly behaved with her. And yet, she is a bright spot. All her husband, we find, that he's interested in is this. He's interested in money. He's interested in food. He's interested in drink. He's interested in having his own way. That is Nabal. That is Nabal. That brings us to the second thing this morning that you want to see. And this is a negative quality, character quality. And here it is. Would you just make sure you write this down? Don't be a fool. Don't be a Nabal. Don't be somebody who is known for being harsh and greedy and badly behaved. Don't be a fool. Nabal, we look at him, he's got a great heritage. His heritage, it stems from Caleb. He's a Calebite. So you, you can't blame all of this on his heritage. Well, it was because his father was a fool and his father was a fool. And his, no, he is from Caleb. Caleb was a godly man. And so you look at this and say, no, we are all going to have to answer for our own character. Our own character. He does not possess the spiritual qualities of his forefather Caleb even though that is his lineage when the young men they show up and it, it says this this sometimes we say hey what's the big deal they they got turned away Nabal kicked them out this is what we need to understand when the young men graciously presented their case on behalf of David saying we have worked hard for you and now we'd like you to pay us it says here that he railed them he railed on them and the NIV translates it this way. He hurled insults at them. Now, this may be the best understanding. The Hebrew word here for what he did to these young men is this word. It describes the shrieking of a bird of prey 
as it swoops down to tear its victim. So don't don't hear when he says, who is David? He's like, who's David? Who's David? He knows who David is. Who's David? Who is it? Why would I pay him? Why would I do this? And he is totally he is out of control. You can see him. He is screeching. He is yelling. He is harsh and badly behaved. And it doesn't matter the context. This is who he is day in and day out. Don't be a fool. Don't be Nabal. When we look at this, we see his heart revealed. We see that he is selfish. We see that he is arrogant. We see that he is rebellious. Abigail will recognize David as the king, but not Not Nabal. Nabal says, I'm with Saul. Yes, Saul's somebody worth following after. You're right. He is modeling his life after Saul. Saul is selfish. Saul is a fool. Saul won't listen to the living God. Saul does what he wants when he wants it. And Saul is a man who is not quick to repent of anything. He's not quick to come and say, Lord, forgive me. You have to drag it out of him. To Nabal, David is a rebellious servant who has abandoned his master. And so we see that this this man, notice he doesn't give any credit for his wealth to God. This is all my stuff. Why Why would I give any of that to David? This is all mine. I've worked hard for it. He's a wealthy man. Listen, a fool is someone who is only thinking of themselves. A fool is someone who has to use fear and intimidation in order to lead people. A fool is someone who is unteachable. Can't teach them anything. Now let's ask, when we look into the mirror of God's word today, do you see in your own life areas where you look like navel? I do. I look at areas and say, Man, I don't want that. I don't want that. This area of my life looks more like Nabal than it does Samuel, for sure. It doesn't look like Jesus over here. Jesus changed me. Here's a few ways to know if you're a Nabal today. Have you made a commitment and you have not fulfilled it? Have you made a commitment and you have not fulfilled it? That is the character of Nabal. Have you mistreated someone just because you could? That is the character of Nabal. Have you mistreated someone to make yourself look good? That is the character of Nabal. And if you look into the mirror of God's word today and you see Nabal in your own character, then today is the day to come and ask the Lord to change you. To say, Jesus, change me. Holy Spirit, do whatever you need to do so that I don't look like Nabal. Change me to look like you, Jesus. Change my character. Change me. If you look at the mirror of God's word, don't just look in the mirror, as the book of James says, and then turn away and say, oh, it's not that bad. If you resemble Nabal, turn from it today. Ask Jesus, say, Jesus, change me. Holy Spirit, Do whatever you need to do to change me. I want to follow you. Third picture of character this morning. Third picture, and it is a negative picture. And this is where we look at David's life, and he doesn't look like Jesus in this this passage. In fact, the third thing to learn from today is don't be hasty. Don't be rash. Don't be somebody who's an overreactor. Don't be hasty like David. Look at verse 13 again. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword and every man uh, of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. And while 200 men remained with the baggage, they are going to not only take what belongs to them, but they are going to bring an amazing amount of sin If they carry out what they plan to carry out. If David is allowed to just go and not only kill Nabal, but kill all the men of the household and then take all of it for himself. That's David's plan. Everybody get their sword on. We're going to go clean Nabal's clock. No, we're going to do more than that. We're going to clear out his house. We're going to take it for ourselves. This is what we're going to do. David looks a lot like Saul here. 
David looks a lot like the king he has been avoiding and running from. He is looking like a man who will not consult the Lord and say, Lord, is this what you want? Lord, what should I do? Lord, how should I respond? Lord, where do you want me to move? And when do you want me to stay? Don't be hasty. Don't be rash. Don't be like David in this. You say, I thought you said that David often looks like Jesus. Many times it points us to Jesus. This passage shows us, listen, he's not the hero of this story. He's not the hero of this story. This is a time where we have to come back and see that there is another hero and that hero is waiting to be revealed. Let's look at what is happening here. David's answer for everything at this point in his life is to say, put on your sword and let's kill someone. Let's kill someone. Let's take action. Would you just maybe write this down? This is not action. This is overreaction. This is not action. This is overreaction. How many of you, maybe, don't, don't show hands, all right? Keep it to yourself right now. Our classic overreactor. When something happens, you say, all right, you, you hit me. I'm going to kick you. You push me. I'm going to run you down. You, you set my house on fire. I burned the entire neighborhood down. I'm a classic overreactor. That's you. That's me. If that's if that's you, let this not be our excuse. I, I hear this happen a lot of times. We excuse our character and we say, I come from a long line of overreactors. I can't help it. My dad was an overreactor. My mom was an overreactor. My grandma was an overreactor. I just do it. That's who I am. When I hear something like that, I say, would you stop blaming that on your parents? Would you stop blaming that on your grandparents? If you know Jesus as your savior, he has given you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is greater than your heritage. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is greater than your heritage? I'm Irish. I have to fight. I love that around you watch this next year when it gets around St. Patrick's Day, uh, these T-shirts will come out. They're in Kelly Green and they'll come out and say, fight me. I'm Irish. People say that like, well, you don't understand where I came from. I understand that if you know Jesus, he is able to change your character. If you know Jesus, he is greater than your heritage. He's greater than your past and he can change you. Don't be rash. Don't be hasty. Don't just excuse being an overreactor. David here is going to have to learn. In many ways, he is modeling himself in this picture just after his predecessor, King Saul. If David succeeded in this, this is where God is going to have to intervene. If David succeeds in this, he will not find refuge anywhere in Israel. He will prove that he is a renegade and he needs to be stopped, just like King Saul has been saying to everyone. If he does this, he will show that he is a danger, not only to himself, but a danger to the people of Israel, and they will turn on him. And I love this about the Lord. The Lord is not going to allow that to happen. He's going to intervene and he is going to stop David's misstep here. He's going to change his character. And he's going to do that by revealing somebody with the character of Christ to David. When the Lord is saying, hey, you are not really in charge. You're not meant to rule your own life. He he steps in and he overrules us. He saw that David was about to act rashly and foolishly. And so he arranges the wise and courageous woman named Abigail to step in. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 14. But one of the young men, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he railed at them. He screeched at them. He he yelled and was just out of control like he normally is. He railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm. These men, they protected us. When we were in the wilderness, they protected us. They protected us from the animals. They protected us from the thieves. They protected us from the bandits. They protected us. We suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both day and by night, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. 
Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man. Look at that word. Would you underline that in your Bible? He is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. That's what his servants are saying about his character, about Nabal's character. He is a worthless man. Nobody can speak to him. He is just a fool. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep. Remember, they were all, it was feast time, so all this food was already prepared. They were already making it. It was, it was a big celebration. So she gathers 200 loaves and two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five seas of parched grain and 200 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Hey, this is God's, this is God's hand right here. He is intercepting David. He is right now protecting David from his himself. He's got something to teach David. And she met them. Now, David had said, surely in vain, I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David. And more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Listen, he is there on a vengeance. He's there. He is there setting himself up as as God. And he is not God. He has not consulted the Lord. He has come up with his own plan. And his plan is filled with emotion. His his plan is filled with passion. His plan is not what God wants for him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless man, Nabal. Look, she called her husband worthless. Ladies, ladies, that's not something you want to be putting on Facebook. Okay, don't do that. But listen, she knows who she's married to. It is exactly what the servant said. She knows. And she's saying, let let it fall on me. If you need to kill someone, kill me. Let it fall on me. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he, Nabal, fool. You know what his name means, and so do I. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives. You know how many times she's going to say, my Lord, to him? She recognizes him as the true king. She recognizes him as the anointed king who is meant to rule over the people of Israel. She recognizes the hand of God on David's life. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord, capital L, lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the young men who follow my Lord. She is going to say this 14 times, my Lord. She recognizes who he is. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. I see God's hand on your life, David. I see that he is going to protect you and he's going to use you. I see it. She's so wise. She's beautiful on the inside. And the Lord, when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all that good is spoken concerning you and appointed you prince over Israel, you are the king. You're the rightful king is coming. The day is coming. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord. I don't want you to regret, regret what you're about to do. I don't want that to hang over, over you. Because what you're about to do isn't right. And I'm begging you to let it fall on me. Let it fall on me. Forgive my husband. He's a fool. And when the Lord had dwelt well with the Lord. And then remember your servant. Look at verse 32. And David said to Abigail. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. I about I was about to do something that was sinful. I was about to do something that is absolutely wrong and against the living God. And from look at him as he he talks to her. Blessed be your discretion. And from working salvation with my own hand, I tried to step in and be God here. I tried to step in and show that I'm the one in charge. That sounds a lot like King Saul, not like David. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. So he's saying. You have satisfied. You have satisfied the need here. We'll receive your gift and we forgive it. And we forgive it. Do you realize that Abigail is operating in many ways as a picture of Christ? Do you realize that she stepped in and said, let the wrath fall on me just as Jesus did on the cross? Let the wrath fall on me. And so that I might protect even the fools. Even the fools. And David recognizes the hand of God on Abigail's life. He recognizes that she resembles Christ. She resembles the living God in this. And he receives it. Now look at what happened. Verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his house. Like the feast of a king. Listen, there's a lot of kings going on in this passage. He thinks he's a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. She told him nothing at all until the morning light. Very wise, very discerning. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. And his heart died within him. And he became as stone. They say that he had a stroke right here. And he was as stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And he died. It was it because he recognized that his wife had intervened and he was so angry that he has this happen to him? Was it because that he realized that David was rightfully, he was coming to kill them all? And Nabal almost did that to his entire fortune and family something has happened david though has learned a, an amazing lesson if we were to look at david today we would call him a bully we would call him someone who is using intimidation and whatever it takes to get what he wants but god has other plans for david God has other plans for you. If you're somebody who is always acting out of emotion and you're somebody who's just overreacting on a consistent basis, I would ask you to seek the Lord and say, Lord, change me from being such a hasty, rash person. Change me. What would he change you to be like? Number four today, and with this we'll close. He would change you to be wise. Would you write that down? Be wise. May it be said of you what it was said of Abigail, that that you have discretion, that you are discerning, that you are someone who is beautiful on the inside, that your character would resemble Christ. That is what we see in Samuel uh, in Abigail's life here. What did she do? She went and she put together all this food that was rightfully David's, the payment, and she took it. She took it. This was not wrong. She was not stealing from her husband. He is the head of the house, but she's the mistress of the house. And she she can command her servants to do what she wants. She knows that Nabal would have opposed her if she would have told him. He would have stopped her from doing what was good. And so she did what needed to be done. She didn't steal from her husband. In fact, her husband was stealing from David. And so she paid the debt that Her husband refused to pay. And in order to save a little money. She knew that her husband was putting their entire family. Their entire 
uh, group of people, all of their friends in danger. And so Abigail came and apologized. She came and apologized. The hero of this story is Abigail. The hero of this story, unlike so many other stories in the Middle East, who they do not lift up women. Notice that about the Bible, that it places value on men and women consistently. Here she is. She's the wise woman who saw that destruction was about to fall on her family. And she put herself at risk to save them. She may die at David's hand. She may die at Nabal's hand. But all of these people whom she loves, they are worth it. David is not the hero of this story. Abigail is. She is the one whose character most resembles Christ. And we have a lot to learn from Abigail. We have a lot to learn from her. She is the one who uses her gifts. She is the one who uses her position. She's the one who uses her personality. She's the one who uses faith. To act. Now this story concludes. You need to know how it ends. That her husband Nabal dies. The Lord struck him down. And David steps in. After Nabal has uh, died and been buried. He steps in. And he proposes marriage to Abigail. And she accepts. She becomes the wife of David. She wisely responds to his proposal. And she now has married a man. That has real character. How do we know that David has character? Because he was teachable. He changed when God confronted him. Unlike Nabal. Unlike King Saul. And it's interesting that David will be a man. Who has far more wealth and power than Nabal ever would. But he is a man who is going to be generous. And humble. Now let's make it very personal today couple of different examples today. Do you, as you look into the mirror of God's word, do you resemble the humble servant leader Samuel today? Do you, rep, when you look in the mirror of God's word, do you re, see in the reflection a foolish and selfish person like Nabal? Are you a hot-headed overreactor like David? Or are you discerning and wise like Abigail? And you say, oh man, I... I want to be, I want to be like Samuel. I want to be like Abigail in, in this story. Then let me give you one more option. One more option that is the hero of every story. Greater than Samuel, greater than David, greater than Abigail, definitely greater than Nabal. And that is Christ. Jesus is the hero of every story and he is to be the hero of your story. He is the one whose character We should reflect Christ. Character is who you are in the dark. May it be said of us that we reflect Jesus. When things are hard and shaking. What should come out of our lives is what Christ has been doing as he changes us. See, man, he's got more to change in me. Amen. That's for all of us. May he change you because of this. May he change me because of this. Don't let anything be off limits to the king of kings. Don't let anything be off limits to his rule and reign in your life today. No matter who wins in Cincinnati today, the king has already won. Amen. You say, what does that even mean? I'm talking about the Seahawks, folks, and that's serious. Far more serious than that is what Christ would want to do in your life and in my life. When anxiety and stress begin to squeeze you, what will emerge from your life. I pray that it would be more and more of Christ. Amen. I want to just lead us in a time of prayer. I want to, I want to invite the worship team to come as, as we pray. And let's just seek the Lord and ask him to change us. Let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're patient with us. We thank you, Jesus, that you came just like Abigail came and you intervened on our behalf. We admit oftentimes we look more like Nabal than we ever want. We look more hasty and rash like David than we want. Lord, I pray that your character, the character of you, the living God would be found in us. Jesus, change us. 
Help us not to cling to our past and who we were or where we came from or what we've done. I pray that you would change us, that we might be known for you. Change us when the stress and anxiety come. I pray that what comes out of our life would be you. What comes out of our mouth would be you. What comes out of our actions would be you. Jesus, we can't do that on our own and we admit that. Jesus, I invite you to change me again today. Jesus, change me to be more like you. Change every person here. Lord, if people don't know you this morning, if people have not put their faith in you this morning, if they, if they are like Nabal and they're their own God, I pray today that they would give their life to you, Jesus, and say, Jesus, change me, not for a day, but for eternity. Take away my sin. Come and lead my life. I want to follow you. I'm tired of being my own king. I'm tired of being my own God. Jesus, change us and change us until we see you face to face and we are ultimately changed. Amen. Amen. Let's sing and celebrate the hero, the character of Christ this morning.